So he told me to make sure I go extra long. I said, you know, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. But um, amen. All right. Well, while they're doing that, why don't you turn the book of Mark to chapter 1. And um, while they're finishing that up, um, turn to the book of Mark chapter 1. I'm going to finish up kind of something I started talking this summer about the gospel. And, you know, we brought in the cross. And we're going to continue talking about the gospel because that's really the only good thing I know. And um, so that's what we're going to stick with. Now, after the uh, ushers have gone through, how many people could say that worship was really good today? Amen. Amen. Did it mess anybody else up? That messed me up, man. <laughs> that messed me up, the great I am. So let's just, you know, we've been, we've taken like 20 minutes for announcements, singing, things like that. Can we just come to the Lord's presence? Just right where you're seated, just raise your hand. Lord, we worship you. Lord, you, that was amazing, God. You're the great I am. Lord God, you are the great I am. No power can stand against you, Lord God. And we just thank you for your presence, Lord. We know who we came here to meet. God, we know who we came here to feel, your your presence, to learn from. You're the teacher. You're the leader. You're our Lord. And so we submit our lives to you right now. And we just invite you, Holy Spirit, do something in us that makes us different, that makes us into what you want us. Do something in us that we can't do on our own. And we invite you now, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I don't know anything anything but that, guys. I don't know anything but him. All right, we're going to talk about the gospel, but we're going to focus specifically on the gospel of the kingdom. And so I want to read a scripture, and then we will we'll talk for a little bit, and then we'll get into some more. But in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, if you want to turn there, and I know I didn't give you any scriptures back there, so you're going to have to forgive me, okay? But that's in the Bible, so... <laughs> You have to do it. All right. Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee. I want you to see this. It says he was proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The preaching of the gospel and this idea of kingdom, they're hand in hand. They're intertwined, they're mixed up. You can't separate the preaching of the gospel from this idea of kingdom. But yet here we are, 2,000 years later, thousands of miles away in a democracy, and we're talking about kingdom, and I'm not even sure if we can understand really what that is. Because, I mean, every four years, at least we get to vote. I mean, whether you like them or not, we don't live in a kingdom that's foreign to us. I mean, all of us, were, were this, this is what we're used to. And this idea of kingdom... It really is. If you think about it, for salvation to take effect in your life, you have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you have to confess him as Lord. You have to understand his lordship. I mean, how central, how central is that? When Jesus started preaching, he talks about repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he died on the cross and rose again, he said, All authority, all, all rule has been given to me. This idea of kingdom, I couldn't find a parable that Jesus spoke of, that didn't have to do with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was all. The book of Acts, when it starts out, the disciples are asking, when are we going to, the kingdom, when are you going to establish the kingdom? Jesus says, don't worry about it, wait for the Holy Spirit. And the book ends with Paul in jail talking about the kingdom. People are coming to him and it says Paul was reasoning with them about the kingdom of God. And yet it's not a term that we hear. And I don't know because we react against it. I don't, I don't really know what a king is. I, 
I can't imagine living in a kingdom where there's just some ultimate, ultimate monarch. I mean, we have, we have a president. The power's kind of spread out. We're trying something new here the past couple hundred years, and it's turned out okay, and we're still working on it. But, um, but we don't have a kingdom. But Jesus, his biggest preaching topic was the kingdom. His Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the... When he taught people to pray, he said, Our Father art in heaven, I'll be thy name. Your kingdom come. It's such a word that is so rich, it's so ingrained into what Jesus taught, but is it necessarily ingrained into what we learn about? Do we focus on the kingdom? I'm not saying us here in Christian Family Fellowship International, the name of the, long, the world's longest name for a church ever. All right? But it's a good name, it's just long. All right, so I have to say CFFI. But the, the, I'm not talking about here in this house, but, but in, our, in what we understand Christianity to be, how much do we, do we really understand? Jesus mentioned the church only two times. He mentioned the kingdom over a hundred times. This idea of kingdom, it was big to him. He, was, he thought it was important. He thought it was big. And so it's, it's a good news of the kingdom. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, if you've ever studied a topic so much that you completely confuse yourself, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because the kingdom, just because it's important, doesn't mean you understand. There's no simple, here are the two or three steps about the kingdom of God. If you read every parable that Jesus spoke, it was about the kingdom, and almost no two truths are the same. It seems like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth sometimes, and you're trying to understand what is the kingdom. And so we're going to, we're going to talk about that. The book of Acts, like I said, is full of kingdom ideas. Paul, when he talked, when Paul wrote, we don't pick it up because we don't speak Greek and we're not a part of the Roman Empire, but when Paul wrote words of kingdom, of the empire, they were all in his writing. It would be the same thing if, you know, I said, uh, my country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. That, would, that you would catch that. If I use those words as I was talking, that would mean something to you. You would, you would recognize that. Um, but we read that and we don't pick up on that because for us it's not the same. But that idea, not only the words that I say, but the, the phraseology and the way they're set up um, would mean something to you. And I'm saying all this stuff just to start off that the kingdom of God is what he came to establish. It's what Jesus came to set up. And so we're going to try to talk about that, and we're going to try to talk about what it is. First thing we need to know is that a kingdom, a kingdom is centered on the authority of a king. A kingdom is not a place. A kingdom is not a set of land. And a kingdom is not a people. I want you to understand this. A kingdom is on the authority that somebody was given. Jesus told the parable about a man who went to receive a kingdom. Remember the, and then he came back with the talents. Remember that parable with the talents? Well, you know where that guy went? He went to receive a kingdom. All right? He didn't go somewhere to get like a continent somewhere that he was going to be the king of. All right? He went to receive a kingdom. He went somewhere to receive this authority. And then he came back with this authority. And he could rule. Herod, when he took control of Jerusalem, when he became the king of, of that, that area, Herod was the king, right? That's why Jesus, he tried to kill Jesus. He had to go to Rome to receive a kingdom. He didn't get like a piece of land somewhere and said, all right, here, you're king of this land now. A, ki a kingdom is not necessarily a place. A kingdom is, is, is authority. I want you to understand, it's not just a place, it's not just a realm, but it's an authority. Herod was given a kingdom. He was given the right to rule, and he went back, and he ruled the people that were under his authority. Jesus has a kingdom 
But it's not just a place because we hear kingdom and we hear the kingdom of heaven and instantly our minds do this where automatically there's something that comes in there. We think he's just talking about a place. We think Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and oh yeah, the kingdom of heaven will get there one day. And all these images flash through our minds from every TV show we've ever seen or every sermon we've ever heard of kind of what heaven is like and there might be clouds and or rivers, or really bright colors, and we know it's going to be good, we don't know much about it, but we're convinced the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is just a place, and it is, but it's also something different. See, kingdom has always been an authority. In the book of Daniel, as the kings, uh, Belshazzar, and all those, you know, Shazar kings, and Daniel, that Daniel worked for, Daniel worked for several different administrations over there. He was captured, he worked for several administrations, and it would say, their kingdoms fell. And a new kingdom was established. Daniel didn't go anywhere. The city didn't go anywhere. The people didn't go anywhere. The authority changed. There was a transfer in authority. It was a different authority. And what I want to tell you is that the authority in this place where we're at has changed. The one that was in charge is no longer in charge. And Jesus is in charge. There is an authority here. Jesus came to establish an authority to establish an authority, just this ruling presence of Him being in charge, making things the way they should be. It's all about the king, Scotland and England. I learned something this week at school. I was helping somebody with some homework that wasn't math, and I learned about Scotland and England, how they became the United Kingdom. I never heard that before. All right, I took American history about 100,000 times in school, but my European history is a little weak. And I learned that they became a king, they became a united kingdom, and some of you probably know this because you're smarter than me, but I learned something and I thought it fit with this, so I'm sharing it. Amen. Amen. They became a kingdom when the king of Scotland became the king of England, and he was the king of two countries, and he said, you know what, I'm the king over there and I'm the king over here, so let's just merge these things together and become a united kingdom. Now, I'm sure it was much more complicated than that. But that's how it all, that's basically how it went. And I said, that's pretty interesting. You know, because they were always marrying each other. And so he was the king in two places. And so the United Kingdom was just the authority of one guy. The authority of one person that extended over that area. And I want you to see that what Jesus came to do is pretty remarkable. It's pretty profound. Um, Caesar, I want you to understand, you guys believe everything happens for a reason. You believe God just, you know, he plans things out. Not only was Jesus a Jewish Messiah, when they say the word he's Lord, that was the word that was often used in Septuagint, which was probably what they used, their Greek version of the Bible. That meant Yahweh. So when you said Jesus was Lord, not only were you saying Jesus is master, Jesus is chief, Jesus is in charge, but there was this hidden understanding that that word Lord was the same word that they used for Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. So there was this double meaning. You couldn't expect a Jewish prophet not to talk about the kingdom. I can't think of any Jewish prophet that wasn't consumed with the kingdom. And when Jesus came on earth, what did he talk about? The good news of the kingdom. But not only was he a Jewish prophet in a very Jewish realm of kingdom prophets, but he was born at the time when the Roman Empire was in control of most of the known world. And every time that you read Paul, Paul was a Jew, but he was pretty, pretty well, he was well-versed in the Hellenistic culture. He was well-versed in the culture of Rome. He was a Jew, but he knew how to behave in Rome. He knew the terminology. He, he was an educated person. And when he 
looked at the Roman system, what they were establishing, it was basically a parody of what Christ was. I want, to, I want you to understand this. Caesar was like the, the tip, the pinnacle of the pantheon. He was this man who became God. That's he was divinized. He was worshipped as God. A man who became God, who was divinized, and brought to his realm peace, liberty, justice, and provision. Now, Roman peace, when the Romans took control of your city, there was peace. That's why they had crosses sitting on the outside. You messed up in our city, you go to the cross. That was the symbol of their control and their authority. That's why they had the crosses up. There was peace. Salvation. That, that word salvation, that was tied to Caesar. It meant salvation, protection from outside enemies. When, Rome, when a Roman garrison was in your city, you were protected. Nobody really wanted to mess with you too often. It would happen. But you could say that you were probably pretty safe. And it meant peace from internal conflicts. When Rome had control of your city, if there was a troublemaker, nail him to the cross. Rome will do that. Caesar did this. He brought provision. He brought peace. He brought justice. All right? Now, they said, somebody said jokingly, a Roman peace was they would just kill everybody. <laughs> and it was a very peaceful desert out there. <laughs> there was nothing going on, so they would just do that. So you look at all these terms that they applied to Caesar, this man who became God, and then Paul walks around the empire, and he's applying these same terms to the God who became man. Salvation is in his name. Peace, justice, liberty, all these things that, that, that Rome, Rome felt that, man, we are, we are the keepers of liberty. We need to share this with everybody. Let's take over this region. That's, that's really what, what, what they thought as they expanded their kingdom. And then now you have this new king, this Jesus, who takes the very symbol of Roman authority, the very symbol that when you walked into a city and you saw the Roman cross on the outside, you knew that Rome didn't take troublemakers. And he takes that very symbol of their power and he turns it on their head. The, the, the Roman system that was set up was like a, a picture, even pointing them to Christ. Because God didn't just care about the Jews. So even they, as they heard these things, they saw things that were set up in their own culture, in their own society, and they were able to say, that's who this is, that's what we've been looking for. Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord, that title that was reserved for Caesar. That title that was, that was his, they applied to Christ. It's his authority. And so let's, let's look at a little bit more scripture because this idea of Christ's authority and, and his rule, man, it's awesome. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Am I making sense? It's not an easy topic right here to talk about. Let each of you, chapter 2, verse 4, let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Um, keep going, please. Have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, some versions say, made himself of no reputation. By taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him that name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and on earth, 
and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The cross was the symbol of Roman power, and God took that cross and he turned it into the power, the symbol of the power of his Son. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, verse 17, and I'll just read, and you can take notes if you want to. And if Christ was not raised, your faith is futile, and you've died in your sins. Verse 21, For by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to us, and then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he put all enemies under his feet. Jesus came to defeat three things. He came to defeat Satan, he came to defeat sin, and he came to defeat death. Jesus came to defeat three things, and he did all three of those things on the cross. And so we're asking, did Jesus win? Did Jesus succeed in what he set out to do? And that's a hard question. Did he succeed or did he not succeed? Well, I think if you look at what happened with death, you can see what's going to happen with the other three. Death. Did Jesus defeat death? Yes, he rose again. Do you still die? Physically, but we still die. It's horrible. We still die. I, I mean, I, we're breaking apart. We, we are dying. Unless the Lord comes back and we see him in the clouds, that's a reality that we don't like to think about, but, but we're going to die. So did he defeat death? Yes. Will there be a resurrection for us who believe? Yes. Absolutely. And there'll be a resurrection for everybody. They call Jesus the first fruits. Now, when I thought about first fruits, I was able to see this real clearly with my mango tree and South Florida had mango tree. And the first fruits, they're not the flowers, right? They're not the flowers. They're not even the, the, the unripened fruit. The flowers are like the promises of God. The unripened fruit are proofs that something's happening, but that first fruit would be that first mango or that first lychee or the first star fruit that we had in our yard that would all of a sudden go from being unedible to the color would change and it would sweeten and it tasted great. And that was the first fruit. That was proof that that rest of that fruit was going to turn. You saw that and you knew that was proof that the rest of the fruit was going to turn. And that's what happened with death. He's the first fruits. It's proof it's going to turn. Now we're waiting it. We're like green fruit on a tree. We're waiting for that resurrection. I'm waiting for the day we don't have to die anymore. But, but did he defeat yet? death? Yes. It's defeated. But it also will be defeated. It says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Same thing with Satan. Was Satan defeated on the cross? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Is he still here messing things up? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Will he be defeated? Yes. yes, he will. He was defeated and he will be defeated. Sin. Did Jesus defeat sin? We know that he did. We know that when he died on the cross, he died so that we would be free from sin. Do we still battle with that? Yes, because there's a future coming. The prophets, when they prophesied, they didn't understand this. They thought that their kingdom, that their king was going to establish was like a physical earthly kingdom without sin, without death. And then Jesus came and did this, and they just couldn't understand it. And so to kind of, you know, my idea of how I think, because I'm simple, 
Um, some of you may not know what these are, but this is a pack of now and later's. And who has ever heard of a now and later candy? All right, now and later candy. They're taffy. Does anybody want a now and later candy? I only have a few. So there's a pack you got to share with your friends, Brother Kelly. All right, you guys get a pack, and then we'll come back here. Anybody back here want a pack? Right here. All right, here you go. You got to share with people around. But the now and later candy, all right, and you guys can eat that while I talk to help you stay awake a little bit. All right, the now and later candy, you eat some now and you have some for later. All right, a brilliant marketing campaign. Take a piece now, and now you got a piece for later. All right? But it stays and it goes, and the kingdom of God is exactly like that. Because we have, we're stuck between two ages. Galatians 1.4, it says, Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. In Romans chapter 1, it says, do not be conformed to this world. That word world there is the same word as age. It's not cosmos, like world like we stand on. It's world like age. And sometimes in your Bible, depending on what translation you use, you might want to figure that out. Are they talking about the cosmos? Or are they talking about this other word, which I'm going to say it the best I can, anion, which is like age. He might deliver us from this present evil age. We're, we're at this place where two ages are overlapping. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. But yet we're still waiting for his kingdom to be established. It is both now and it is both later. And if you don't walk that tension, you're going to live a life that is not on keel with what the Scripture says. The kingdom of God is now. Jesus has come. He is exalted at the right hand of the Father. And somehow you are exalted with him. But it will also happen later. Because as far as I can tell, I'm still sitting on this chair right here. So there's a now and there's a later. But that now part should excite you a little bit. Because we've, for too long, we've taken our religion and just made it later. We've gotten so consumed with the later that we forget the now part. The now part is minuscule. The now part is that. But, but you know that you can have a taste of the kingdom of God now? Yes. Hebrews, right? Let's look at the book of Hebrews. And I want you to turn over there because this is like a key to my understanding of this. And I know I'm giving a lot, but you know what? That's okay. All right. Hebrews. Let me figure where I put that over there. Chapter 6, verse 4. Now this verse is one of those verses that if you're like me, you like to skip over. Alright, anybody have those verses in the Bible? They're kind of a little bit too much condemnation and conviction, so we'll just brush through that one and get to the good stuff. All right? For it is impossible, right here, this is a terrifying, you read it and you're like, ugh, something on the inside of me cringe. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, keep going, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age have come. And you can keep going and it says to renew themselves to repentance. So you read that. And so because of that thing, it's impossible to repent. If you've tasted of this power and you can't repent anymore, we don't like to stay too much on these verses. At least I don't. I don't like to hear a verse that says it's impossible for me to repent. But let's not worry about the repenting part right now, okay? We can talk about that later. But let's look at the tasting part. Man, I read something about tasting. Tasted of the powers of the age to come. A taste is something that's real. A taste that's something that's real. It's not a meal. 
I tell the kids in kids' church when I give them a snack, we're having a snack, not a meal. All right? All right, they want more, more goldfish, more chips, more juice. No, this is a snack, it's not a meal. But a taste is something real because to get a taste, you had to physically come in contact with that. And God has promised us a taste, a real encounter with the powers of the age to come. It's a real encounter, not just this thing where we think about it. Yeah, that's true, God could do that. But God has promised to give us a taste. Now, one day we're going to get the fullness. One day the marriage supper is going to happen. We're going to be full. But God has promised at least now to give us a taste, to give us something that we can tangibly feel, tangibly experience. When you taste something, you know that it's good or that it's bad. All right? There's something, but you know exactly what it is. And I want you to think about that. God has promised you a taste. He's the first fruits. And he not only that, but in 1 Corinthians, he wants to make you the first fruits. He wants to transform you. He wants to give you just a little bit of what it's going to be like in heaven. A little bit of the lordship of Christ in your life. When Jesus is Lord, he has promised you salvation. When his kingdom has come, you are safe internally and externally. That's what the word means. Everything you need, complete wholeness, God has promised to give you that. Now, sometimes we wake up, and at least me, my knee's a little sore and my foot hurts a little bit, but God still has promised us a taste. He's promised us the right to have the rule of Christ, the lordship of Christ in our lives. The powers of the age to come, they can come in right now. So even though we're waiting for him to come back, we're waiting for his return, that parousia. You know, in Thessalonians, when it talks about uh, don't be worried as if that day had come, as if he had come, that word, the coming, the second coming, that is a word filled with like royal understanding. That is not a word just like somebody coming and showing up. That is the word that when the emperor, when Caesar would visit your city or Caesar would visit your state, all the citizens of that town would go outside to meet him as he came. And then you would walk in victorious with Caesar. And that's the same thing that's going to happen with Christ is, is yes, he's here. He said, lo, I'm with you always, but he's also coming back. And he's also coming back. And we're going to go into the air, and as the king would come to his city, he's coming back to what's rightfully his. And we're going to go to the air, and we're going to meet him. That's a future thing that's happening. But he also shows up now. When two or three are gathered, I'm in your midst. So not only do we have to wait for his royal presence, I mean, I'm looking forward to that day when he puts an end to it all. Not only do we look forward to that, but there's times that two or three of us can gather, and he can put an end whatever is attacking you. He can put an end to whatever is coming against you mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. And I think there's people in this room right now that that you've been under attack mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or physically. I forgot one. And Jesus can come in. He can touch. He can give you a taste. I mean, how much do you really need of the power of God to make a difference in your body? Jesus said clearly, he said, Flesh and blood, you can't inherit it. You can't inherit the kingdom. But the kingdom of God can rock your body. (laughs) You can't affect it, but when the kingdom of God and the lordship of Christ shows up, man, you weren't there the past couple days when my wife was saying, "Uh, it's ringing and it hurts and, you know, complaining for three or four days. And my wife doesn't really complain about her health that much. You weren't there. And to hear Pastor Ken say, hey, God has shown me this. The Lordship of Christ has shown up. 
Friday, we had a touch. I felt like we prayed. She felt like it got better. But we need another taste. Amen. We need another encounter. We needed, we, needed, we needed his lordship to be exalted over that earache. I don't care. I don't have time to worry whether it was a demon, whether it was an illness, whether it was a sickness. All I know is that it wasn't under the lordship of Christ. Yes. The only thing I'm looking at is the king. Let him figure out what he has to do to make it right. Amen? That's why he said, when you pray, say your kingdom come. But that's not just saying your kingdom come one day, God, let you know heaven come to earth and let everything turn out well. That's saying in my life, in my situation, Lord, your kingdom come. You should never pray that wimpily again. Amen. Lord, your kingdom, you should never pray that like a wimp again. Well, next time you go through that prayer, and I want you to think about it, Lord, your kingdom come. Lord, your rule over my body right now, your rule, your authority, as the one who was given the authority by God. Your kingdom come in my body, your authority. That's what, that's what it means. The next time you're having any kind of trouble and you pray your kingdom come, expect his kingdom to come. Yes. Expect it to come now. We don't have to wait. See, we're kind of left here like a colony almost. We're like a colony of heaven left here. Not just some left behind people that are just trying to struggle. I want you to think about a colony. When you sent off a colony, you didn't just say, well, I'm picking you, you, and you go. You sent them with everything they needed. When they went to go start a colony, they had, you know, bins of grain, they had tools, they had equipment, they had everything that they needed. I mean, if you're going to do it right, amen? <laughs> All right, I mean, we could just send you over there, but if you're going to do it right, when they came across on the boats, they, they set up the colony with everything they thought they could need. And God has given you in Christ everything that he thinks that you could need. It is impossible to taste that, I think, I think, and fall away. I really do. I think if you get a touch of the, the power of God, um, your life is, is never going to be the same. So let's go through. Let's just look at a couple things. We'll take a few minutes. I'm not going to talk too much longer. But let's just look at Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. Remember, every parable he taught, he taught about the kingdom. Every, that's, what he, that's what he was talking about. So I just kind of took, do, we'll do a little survey, and you guys, you know, Raise your hand if you remember the parable of the mustard seed. Amen. Amen. There's a little mustard seed. He plants it in the ground. The kingdom of God is just like that. It's a little thing that comes into your life. And it may not, my life, it took a little while for it to get hold. But as it sits there, there's power in that seed. And even though it's small, it takes over. What about the parable? This is, a, this is not a very, the parable of the lemon. The leaven, not the lemon. The leaven. <laughs> The lemon. I'm testing you. Lemon, anybody? You're lying. That's not in there. All right. The parable of the leaven. All right, if you raise your hand, we forgive you. Where it said it was like the woman who took the leaven, and she hid it in the meal, and then all of a sudden, uh, it went throughout the whole loaf. Leaven is not always bad in Scripture. A lot of times it is, but it's not always bad. The priests in the Old Testament at times would have to bring leavened bread into the temple. So it wasn't always bad. And what Jesus was saying, it was a truth. He was saying, it's just like that little bit of leaven that you hide in there, and before you know it, you don't know how it gets through, but it works its way through the whole thing. The kingdom of God should do that in your life. His authority, you confess His lordship, it should be like one little prayer that, man, you felt something happen, but you're not even sure. But before you know it, every part of your life is under His lordship. Every thought in your mind, everything that you do is just being transformed under His lordship parable of the seed that was sown. If you think about this, even though the seed is powerful, it has to be received, right? Some on the hard ground, 
some on the rocky ground, some on the thorny ground. The same seed, the same power, the same authority given, but different people receive it different ways. Some even, it says, those who were, were, were uh, strangled out, the thorns, by the God of the, by the desires of this age. Don't let this age, don't be conformed to this age. Don't be conformed to what the world is telling you to look after. Get your mind in the future. Get your vision in the future of where you want God to take you. And watch the power of that age work. He gave, taught, told about a dragnet. He said, I threw a net. You remember that parable? Who remembers that one? I threw a net into the sea and I pulled up lots of stuff. Some was good, some was bad. Kept the good, threw away the bad. He told another parable about a guy who was... Um, not only the one about the sowing seed on the different things, on the different types of soil and the different elements, but somebody who sowed seed on the earth, and it was good seed, and it started to grow. And then what came in? An enemy. And an enemy came and they planted tares. So, and then he goes and he breaks that one down for us because he knows how slow we are. And he says, all right, the world, uh, the field, that's not the church. The field is the world. Right? And so even though we're on this world right now, there's some people that are growing strong, that the kingdom of God is taking root in your life, and right next to you, two doors down, can be a son of wickedness. That is, the, the kingdom of God is not taken. And so we live side by side in this age. That's why it's now, but it's also later. There's a, a fuller realization. He talked about ten virgins waiting on the king. That's kind of in the future right there. Ten virgins waiting and, and making sure your, uh, your lamps are full. He said that the kingdom of God is only in, um, inherited by those who are humble like children. And he talked about, he said something, he said, unless you're born of the Spirit, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born of the Spirit, you don't even get to see the kingdom of God. How important is the Holy Spirit's role in the kingdom? The Holy Spirit's role in establishing his authority. That's kind of like what Chris, I believe, he was prophesying. Is not only has Jesus done this and he's been given this kingdom, but the Spirit of God has come now to give you a taste and to establish his authority. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he said, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. And do it for free. <laughs> That's what he said there at the end right there. Uh, you go receive it freely, you go do this freely. Healing. Obviously, that's part of the kingdom. If you want to know what the kingdom is, your kingdom come, never be afraid to really pray for a healing like it's going to happen. Cleansing. There are people in here, we need to be cleansed mentally and emotionally. The, the prince of this age has infected people. Minds have been rotted out. Spirits are, are, are not what they should be there. There's a demonic, Mark told me an awesome testimony. And I never heard it. Trust me, Mark. One testimony, I haven't heard of him. And this was it when he got saved, or before he got saved. And I guess it was earlier on. But he was on the streets in St. Louis, and there was a, uh, a preacher that pulled him over. And I'm sure he was nice and calm, Mark. You know, <laughs> I'm, sure <it> was, <laughs> I'm sure he was just minding his own business, well-behaved. You know, But the, the, the guy called him over, and, and, and he cast, cast the enemy out of him. Didn't he? And that was part of some. That was part of it. That. <laughs> Had you ever heard of praying in tongues before that? 
There's people walking around this city just like that. And they need people that are going to extend the kingdom. God has said, go, preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The conference said, now is the time. Go and do this. Don't let him walk around. Don't look at that guy. Next time you see him walk by and he kind of scares you, rise up in your authority and have the right to say, God, your kingdom come, your rule and your authority, your will be done. You never know whose life you could change. You never know where he could wind up with the good that person could be doing. Don't look as men see, but look at their hearts. And there's people that are bound. Some people wrote some interesting things about the kingdom. George Ladd wrote a good book on the kingdom. If you have more time to read, you read your Bible. But if you want to throw in something extra, you could read this. He said, the kingdom is a present reality, yet it's also a future blessing. It's an inner spiritual redemption that can only be experienced by a new birth. Yet, later on, it will have to do with the nations of the world. The kingdom is a place into where men can enter now, yet it is also a realm we'll enter until tomorrow. The same gift is bestowed on God by his Holy Spirit. There's no simple explanation. One day Jesus will come and he'll set up his kingdom. If Daniel would have saw Jesus, what was Daniel's vision? Daniel saw the kingdoms of the world smashed by a stone cut without hands. He saw the kingdom of God coming and taking over the whole earth. And here's this crucified Messiah. Daniel would have had no clue what he was looking at. That's not the vision you gave me, God. But yet that's how God came to establish his kingdom in this humble Messiah, just like a little seed that you plant and you forget about it. But later on, come back and there's a huge tree there growing. So God's kingdom, it's his authority, and he's called some people now. We get a future taste. We're, we're kind of like the, the beta test, the product testers. However awesome it's going to be, you can read the book of Revelation and find out all the good things that the kingdom of heaven has for you, and then you can start requesting your taste right now. You get to taste test it right now. I, I would like to know how those new bodies would feel, God. Could you try it out right here? I would like to know how it is to not have any more tears. Could you heal this hurt right here? Give, get a taste, taste test. That's he has given you the opportunity to go out there to, to not only, and then to proclaim it, say, this is good, people. You will be weeping and gnashing your teeth if you miss this. You will be weeping and gnashing your teeth if you see what's going on with us and you don't get to make it. I've tasted, I've felt, I've seen that the Lord is good. And so God, I believe, he wants to do that. I believe that God is generous. God is generous and he is good. And the rule, Jesus Christ paid it all. The price was paid, the authority's his, and he's bestowed it, he's given it. He's, he's, he's put it on us. Jesus and Luke said that. The kingdom of God doesn't come in ways that can be observed. When people say, look, there it is, or there, don't go with that because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus is Lord right now. He has been. Will you accept that lordship? He's been Lord. He's been Lord. You have the opportunity and the privilege to jump on board with that and to get in line with that kingship and that lordship. And I think he does it through the power of his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit brought health to Jesus' body. <coughs> By the, the Spirit of God, Jesus was casting out demons. We already know the Spirit of God is involved in the casting out of demons. And the Holy Spirit cleanses our hearts, pours out the love of God in our hearts, 
Romans 5 talks about, and cleanses our hearts. The power of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is what comes and establishes God's kingdom in our lives. It makes a lot of sense that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, almost like a coronation thing, almost like to welcome into the rule of Jesus, welcome into the kingdom of God as, as they would lay hands. That wasn't just anything simple, but it was this, this baptism, this immersion, this welcome into the kingdom of God, welcome into having Jesus rule your life, mind, soul, and body. It's a privilege. The Holy Spirit would come and he would do those things as a guarantee. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our redemption. The guarantee, that's like the down payment. Guarantee doesn't do it justice. All right, you go to buy a house, you used to have to put down a down payment. All right, we had to put down a down payment. And the way it most of you know, the way it used to work, and you don't get that down payment back. Why? Because that person's, you get to do what you want with it. Right? So if somebody paid you a down payment, technically, you know, the way the contract used to be written, you get to keep it. But Jesus has given us a down payment. We got it. We got a bank account full of what God wants to do in our lives. And you get to use it or you get to sit on it. Didn't he tell a story about talents or something like that once where you can use it or you can sit on it? And he said, you might as well use it or he takes it away from you. And I want you to go through the scriptures and I want you to look at the kingdom of God. And right, you're going to get confused. But go through the parables, because I got confused. I'm still a little confused. But go through the parables and learn about what God is doing, how his rule and his authority is taking root on this earth. Yet it is not fully established. But yet it is. And how Satan is defeated, and yet he will be defeated. And you are already healed, and yet you're going to be healed. And the last enemy that will be defeated is death. Praise God. The last enemy is going to be defeated. So I felt like, I felt like right now, um, that there might be some people in here, and um, I really feel this as, as from the Lord, that there's things in your life uh, that have risen up, that are trying to boss you around and tell you that Jesus is not king of your life. It might be emotional, it might be spiritual, it might be uh, mental, it might be, it might be anything that, that is risen up against the Lordship of Christ. And what I feel like we should do as, as people who believe in Jesus is we should exert the influence of his kingdom. We should just speak his name, his authority, and his power over you and watch those things bow. Because everything bows at his name. So right now, I want you guys to think about it right now. And I want you to say, is there anybody in here that there is anything in your life, anything that is rising up against what God wants to do. It could be sickness. It could be, it could be emotional things. It could be anything that's keeping you from going out and sharing this kingdom, from walking in this kingdom. We don't have time to wait till next week for you to get better. There's work to be done this week. We don't have time. There's probably work this afternoon. I need to know who in here, and don't be afraid, don't be ashamed. God is going to do something great. This isn't, this isn't a shame thing. This is a freedom thing. This is a salvation thing. This is being able to leave here and know that you are whole. I feel like God would have us to pray with some people right now. And if that's you, if you feel like God needs to do something, that the Lordship of Christ, you just want that prayed over you right now, I'm going to invite you to come up to the front.